Welcome back, welcome back, you wonderful people who matter so very, very much. I'm W.S. Walker, and when I sat down and really thought about it, thank you for coming to my book reading. I, sure, we may not be catching each other's glances as I look up from the page, we may not have the sound of a busy Davis kid in the background, but to me, a, a little bit, feels like I got to read my book directly to everyone that tunes into this, which I cannot tell you what a tremendously just wow of a feeling that is. So if this episode sounds a little more directed at you in my tone than before, then you only have yourself to blame for, uh, for making me feel like that. How dare you? Please, please continue to dare. Thank you for that feeling. That, uh, that'll be fuel. So quick recap, uh, we know to empty our cups in order to receive what's actually being said. We know that we're really clever when it comes to communicating and sharing ideas and expressing ourselves. And we know our non-verbal communications or body, face movements, and wordless sounds. They're the primary form of expression when it comes to emotions, and we learned that every emotion has its own set of pretty easily recognizable non-verbals, except for one emotion, which is easily argued to be the most important one, love. Now, I'm, I'm sure some of you took guesses at it, and it's difficult, isn't it? It's, it's like there's this fog of confusing thoughts when you try to answer that one. So... <laughs> Are you ready to learn the answer to the riddle of the missing sound? No. No, you're not. Not yet. Look, I would love to tell you what the answer is right now. Just lay it out. But I need to pour a bit more into your cup before I can give you that. Or it will not land where I need it to land. It just it won't have anywhere near the same impact it needs to get you through the punch in the gut that is chapter 8. That chapter is a giant reveal, and the seconders will know what I'm talking about, and you're going to need a run-up to get through that one. Now, the chapter we're about to read is, is a bit of a departure from the topic that we closed the last chapter with. It, uh, it may seem disjointed, but I promise you I am building the foundation of a structure that we can climb to the answer of the riddle. And a, a whole lot further. We're at the base of the pile. Let me show you the way up. Chapter 2. Cacophony and the Granddaddy Fear Okay, so first, let's acknowledge a not-so-simple truth. This is a truth that can be... Pretty scary if you're not ready to hear it. The world that we live our entire lives in is a conglomeration of every single decision made by every single human being that ever lived. They slash we have shaped every aspect of tradition, society, entertainment, and knowledge. Whether we want it to or not, 
every single decision and indecision because choosing not to choose is still a choice. Well, it has an impact, and we, as incredibly gifted as we are as a species, have nowhere near the sight to understand the overall impact of any of those decisions. Regardless, you make decisions, and you get to be a part of the shaping of that world for billions of other people. You, you matter so much. You are a part of so many lives that you'll never even meet echoing out into the entire future of the human race. Now, we live in a very unique position in dimensional space. We live fully in the first three dimensions of space, being three-dimensional creatures, but we also exist within the most infinitesimally thin slice of the fourth dimension, time. The word now describes a constantly moving position, Imagine all of time at once, like a giant sculpture, and our position, ever moving through it, marching forward and never reversing its progress. If we lived as fully in the fourth dimension as we do in the first three, we would see time all at once. We'd be able to move freely within it, backwards, forwards, fast or slow. But that's not the existence that was given to us. Either we're moving through it at a consistent rate over which we have no control, or it's moving through us and we still have no control. Either way, everything behind us is still there, left behind as we're pulled along, but every bit as real as what is happening now. We call this position that we're stuck in the present, the trail we leave behind, the past, and what has yet to be revealed from our position, the future. And what is so very fascinating about that particular position is that we find ourselves staring basically into a void ahead of us, a clear-cut path behind us, but no way of seeing what the next moment holds for us and what decisions must be made. Is it danger? Is it good fortune? And other people have free will as well, making decisions, and who's to say they're not going to have their path come crashing into the routes you're taking, knocking you off balance. We are all effectively blind pilots, but we are clever. And oh boy, are we imaginative. We utilize our imaginations in these instances, and fear is something that we live our lives by. Fear is what sets up most of the guardrails that govern which paths we see as possible avenues that we can take in our day-to-day life. As M. Night Shyamalan once stated, fear is an imaginary world that you build for yourself and that you live by way of its rules. But all fears, no matter what flavor they come in, they all originate from that one source fear, the granddaddy of all fears. The fear of the unknown. Think about it. You've never been afraid of something that's already happened. Only that it'll A, happen again, or B, that as a byproduct, something else undesired will occur as a result. Once something you were afraid of has occurred, the very moment that it becomes seen and known, we cease to fear it. In other words, say you live in a small village, and there's rumors of a dragon in the area. 
and you, you're terrified that the dragon might discover your village, right? Well, one day the dragon lands and discovers your village. The moment that this is known to you, are you still scared that the dragon will discover your village? No, that's, that's already done now. So then your brain fills up quickly with the next offerings from our fear of the unknown. Will it eat us? Set fire to our thatched rooftops, crush us underfoot, recite Vogon poetry. And it doesn't matter if the fear predicted the situation correctly last time. If it demands to be heard, it's going to be heard and it's going to be felt. So much so that those that have let fear firmly take the steering wheel in their life choices, they don't often feel as if they have a choice in the matter and have a tendency to feel trapped in their options for choices. And many of us are taught to give that choice over to fear. And we have seen a lot of education centered around making sure that we know that we cannot trust someone we haven't already vetted. It's a well-established fact that human beings have free will. And as a result, we're not going to always make the choice that's statistically the most likely choice to be made. And to a mind that roots its actions in fear and probability of outcome because it can't see past right this very second, this is a very, very real threat. Human beings can't be predicted in how they may affect personally designed paths. Sure, we have rules and consequences, laws and punishments to help increase the probability that people would adhere to certain behaviors, therefore increasing our ability to make accurate predictions about what they're likely to do or not do. And we put up fences and door locks and security shutters to make sure it stays that way. But we are a species that cannot thrive without one another. And so we find ourselves at constant odds. Add to that that most are moving in pursuit of my own path, and it, it should be an absolute emotional disaster for each of them, which it both is and isn't, but we'll get to that. So, point being, for the moment, we fix our eyes heavily on probability and predictive thinking as a way to see further than our position in time. But even the most astute of us can't predict one one-hundredth of the total impact one singular decision will have. We make educated guesses, but, but we're trapped in a very limiting viewpoint. You see, our brains are typically somewhat faulty at accurately recording memories, and the future is an unknown. One on which we paint what we predict and hope for and one on which we project our fears in order to plan for what may come and then start erecting our life's guide rails. And we soldier forth at a pace that we cannot choose, completely blind to the paths and obstacles in those paths that are coming up, but humans adapt. We can't see the future, so we build a way of life based on predictability and protection. Door locks and work schedules, insurance and legal consequences, and one of the most necessary components of this style of living is picking a path, choosing a path to call our own. In a system of life that experiences time as we do, it's almost instinctual to design your plan and act according to it. To paraphrase Donald Miller in his book Blue Like Jazz, I never actually thought it, and I never actually said it, 
but I damn sure acted as if I was the main character of this story. Most of us move through this life believing ourselves to be the protagonist, and sometimes treating the rest like the supporting cast. And of course you do. It's a story that you view in first person, and you get to decide what your character does. If literature hasn't done it enough, film and video games certainly cemented the idea that the character that we see the world through the eyes of is the main character. We often become very focused in these plans, however big, standard, or small they may be. So much so that I believe the bulk of most people's planning is done automatically without giving it much thought at all. But you'll have quite a lot of unpredictable obstacles in that path. I'll be referring to the plan that one plans for themselves as my own plan from here on. Just a heads up. Now, as I've already mentioned, we interact with each other on a constant basis, and very little of those interactions are predictable. And if what we choose to do, say, or be affects someone else, it effectively alters their own personal experience, their emotional state, or the paths that they now have available to them to choose from, which similarly affects those that they interact with from there on and on and on it goes. And every change and decision that you helped affect bears your signature. You are partially responsible for all of them. Imagine one of those fireworks that fires the large bulb into the air that soon explodes into several fist-sized burning balls. Now imagine each of those balls, after a moment, explodes into several more of the same size bulbs that, in turn, explode into several more bulbs. And imagine this continues forever. Each bulb is unique. Sometimes a bulb is a dud, and sometimes it explodes into hundreds or thousands or even millions of bulbs. There is no way to predict how each decision will explode or what harm or benefit it may bring. And with all this focus on the paths we choose for ourselves, that kind of chaotic cacophony of cause and effect can be terrifying. I use cacophony because that fireworks visual is representing just one single action and decision from one person. Over 7.7 billion are adding to that fireworks show all the time. One that approximately 101 billion people have already been contributing to. Anyone can affect you without deliberately meaning to. Eliminating paths that you would like to take or denying things that you would like to have for yourself. So what do we do? <laughs> well, this dichotomy between human beings needing each other and the determination to minimize the world's random fireworks show effect on our own chosen trajectory is dealt with by most people by reducing trust and by more broken empathy than we'd ever feel comfortable copping to. We choose who we let in and how many of the defenses we've erected, both mentally and physically, the chosen trusted people are allowed to pass through. This often comes from a place of getting to know someone well enough that you feel you can predict them enough to keep yourself out of harm's way. They show no patterns of them being distrustworthy or dangerous to your path, and so they can stay. And the more love that one has for that person, the easier it is to trust them and vice versa. 
Even if we get hurt badly by a betrayal of our trust, we are compelled to eventually get back out there and love and trust again. Why is that? Well, put simply, we're compelled to love. It's one of, if not the, best feeling we are capable of experiencing. The grandest and most motivating of motivations. And that's chapter three. You know, I wanted to start including something at the end of these that people could easily skip past if they aren't interested in hearing anything other than the book being read. But, uh, you know, something fun I could offer. And then immediately after I had that thought, I had this idea. I was actually typing out some stuff I wanted to go over at the end and came across uh, another one of those words that just universally, every time I try it, every time, it just looks wrong. <laughs> the spelling of it just always looks wrong to me. And I, I know that that's something I share with a lot of people. I know there's a lot of people out there that have that constantly plaguing their lives. <laughs> Anyways, I thought that I would share a new one every end of podcast just as a fun little thing. And I guess it's somewhat related. It's writing related. Yeah, that's a stretch. I'll share one of those each time. And uh, I was thinking, I well, I'm not thinking. I created a subreddit. <laughs> called r slash always looks wrong yeah no spaces and drop the one that just plagues your life in there and let go of it let it let it go into the ether let it be read over the airwaves and i know you know the word i'm talking about it's the one that you go to spell and you're just no matter how many times you learn it you write it out and it just it looks wrong and then you go, you finally, you try it a couple of ways and then you look it up and you're looking at the word and you're just like, that can't be how they spell that. That, that. that doesn't look right. That's the kind of word I want from you guys. And for today, I'm going to give you the one that has plagued me my entire life because I, sw- oh, I want to swear so bad that I saw it at one point that I learned the spelling of it as L-I-S-C at some point but the word is license and i don't know why but it will always look wrong to me i gotta tell you i am dying to hear which ones you guys have okay guys so if you get a chance jump on r slash always looks wrong find out how many of us share your burden and that's that's pretty much it for me thanks for coming to my reading you can check out the youtube channel at youtube.com slash could help you can contact the podcast at willhelpmail at gmail.com. Uh, come talk about this stuff. Ask questions. Hear what others think at r slash the laughing matters on Reddit. And uh, you can stay up to date with the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash I could help. So go get out there and send off some fireworks that just keep bursting. Be sweet. Bye, everybody. <laughs>